trying to think of that the other day. Um, but yeah, I think this is officially the first one I've done on a Sunday. And I haven't done very many of these at the house. I think I did, uh, Hilby came by to the house. Mm -hmm. And Nick from Bel Air okay. came by the house. So you came by on a Sunday, which is a first. And you're the first person to get fresh pressed coffee. Coffee's good. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so it's Sunday morning. I'm here with Mike Staub from Pearland. Uh, he was good enough to come out to the house this morning uh, and drink some coffee with me and talk about lacrosse. I'm excited that you came out, man. Appreciate it, man. Um, to be here. As usual, right, we spent, what, it, almost an hour, right, yeah. ahead of time <laughs> talking, and we finally got our act together and started, uh, started the recording, and I have a feeling we're going to sit around for an hour afterwards and talk some more. Um, so I start in the same place we always start, right, which is kind of a little bit of your history of the game. How did you start playing? Where did you start playing? You know, the question I always ask folks is, you know, it's always interesting to find out when folks started playing, but also what they were playing, right? Was it in the neighborhood pickup kind of stuff, mm -hmm. right? Or was it originally right out of the gates? Was it was it structured team play, right? So, you know, start from the beginning. Uh, I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and uh, I, was, I always played soccer. I love to play football. And I played baseball growing up. When I was in middle school, we had a big lacrosse program. I went to uh, Holy Trinity, which is a uh, big Catholic middle school that feeds into Charlotte Catholic in Charlotte. And all, all my friends from the football team, they all played lacrosse. I think it was probably about 70% of the kids that, that played football also played lacrosse. And um, I really wanted to play. And then like the icing on the cake for that was that like uh, my... Seventh grade football coach walked into my history class and he pulled me out of class and he said, hey, listen, he's like, you're playing lacrosse, right? And, uh, right, which so, this is a total opposite Houston ex lacrosse experience. So, <laughs> the, the football coach comes and recruits the you. Football coach, the football coach came in and he said, hey, I don't want you wasting your time this spring. You need to be playing lacrosse. You know, he's like, he points out all my friends. They're playing lacrosse, play lacrosse. So I started playing lacrosse in seventh grade. So you hadn't done, so when you started playing in seventh grade, I mean, what had your exposure been to that point? Well, Did I, you even know what it was? Or? I, I, yeah, I knew what it was because um, my parents always picked me up a little bit late from school uh, because it took them a while to get there. So I would always watch the lacrosse practice and I always wanted to play. And so, but I knew, so I watched it and the, the first thing I thought was that like, you can't play that game unless you can catch and throw the ball. Like, you know, I, I can't do that yet. So my, my, all my friends played, and all, all my friends had goals in their backyard. So I would, you know, I, I got a stick, borrowed one of their sticks, and then I learned how to catch and throw, shoot the ball. So by the time, my first practice, I knew how to catch and throw with my right hand. I didn't know how to catch and throw with my left hand. I knew how to shoot the ball. And so when I stepped out at practice, during like line drills or any type of ball drill that we were doing, I was, I was competent. Because I knew, like, there was a lot of pressure, you know, you didn't want to go out there and not be able to catch and throw. And all my friends that played, they told me, like, you, you trust me, if you can't catch and throw, you shouldn't come out here. Right. It's not going to be fun for you. So. You, you said your friends all had goals in their yard. Yeah, everyone had a goal in their yard. So, it's always interesting to hear, one thing we discuss a lot on, on this podcast is kind of the lack of density or critical mass here in Houston, right? You, you, know, you see a goal in somebody's yard or a kid with a stick, right? But it's not like there's a neighborhood with enough kids to support a pickup game, right. right? It sounds like you had that experience. I mean, where 
you know, outside of school or organized lacrosse or on the weekends, right, there was goals and sticks and enough kids running around to make yeah. it interesting. Yeah, definitely. And then not only that, but um, we all live in South Charlotte. Um, and uh, there was a, a really big private school there called Charlotte Country Day. You might have heard of it. Um, it's a pretty big lacrosse school. And um, we, would, we would meet there to play pickup games on their fields. And their coach was totally fine with it. He would come out there and just kind of smirk and be like, you guys are out here again. Need some balls? Really? Yeah, you guys need some balls? And, and he knew all of us because we all went to a private school. We went to a Catholic school that played against them. And uh, he was, you know, um, I think it was Brad Tuma is his name. And uh, I think he's still there. Um, but he would just come out there, smile, and just be like, all right, you know, be safe, boys. And we would, we would just play lacrosse at their, on their how, fields. How awesome would that be to have access to, not, so here, you know, we just struggle to find a field that we can yeah. put goals on, right? But to have access to a, a legitimate field, goals, and some, some dude who's willing to come out there and give you balls, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and our, our, our coach would have done the same, but our school didn't have as nice of a field. Right. They had just like plush fields, you know, as far as the eye can see. Was, was it close enough? I mean, it sounds like it was in proximity to your neighborhood. Was it close yeah. enough that y'all could walk or ride bikes? You could get there on your own? No, we had, like, one of the dads, like, one of our dads would give us a ride. We'd be like, you know, Dad, can you take us a country day? He's like, yeah, sure, it's fine. So <laughs> we, would, awesome. we would go do that. Um, would the, the parent who took you there, would they hang around and watch? No. Or they just drop you off? No, this was, this was back in the day when parents would just drop kids off. I know that, that's not a thing anymore. That's not a thing it's anymore. It's not a thing anymore. <laughs> There's, all right, you know, and then, and then, like, one of us would have a cell phone or, or he'd be like, I'm going to be back at, you know, 3 o'clock. You guys, that's the, when I get here, you're done. And you're getting in the car. So then he'd just come back and pick us up. That was, that was, that was how it was. You know? How did you, um, how did y'all select teams? Um, like how, you know, like, play, like how you'd select teams playing hoops in the backyard. Just, you know, just, just the, the first kid that says where the teams are, where the teams are. You know, or hey, that's not fair. You know, you know, trade. Stuff right, like, yeah, right. just stuff like that. I love that because brand, brand. Somebody else, I think it was Littner, talked about. You know, one thing that's missing nowadays with kids and pickup games is the ability to resolve disputes, right? Yeah. And I think Littner and, and Brand both, you know, made reference to that. And I love the fact that that dad dropped y'all off, and he took off. Right? Yeah. It's like you, you guys get it organized, play. You don't need me here. Yeah. Pick teams, resolve your issues, do whatever you need. Well, to sometimes do, right? the way we resolved our issues was not, you know, it was not by the book. But that's all right. <laughs> you got them resolved, right? I remember. I'll never forget my my uh, my best friend Andrew. I I was I was shooting the ball and I wasn't looking. He was in the goal, and I shot the ball and I hit him, and he ran out and he just he just put me on the ground and started punching me. That was. <laughs> <laughs> he he. I guarantee you, he remembers it too. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> That's it. That was we were just playing lacrosse. No pad. So, no pads, by the way. Just helmet and gloves. No, this was nothing. Just this, this was just yeah. This was he was just in a legit ball. Yeah, not? it was just stay away from each other's hands. Like don't don't check my hands. You know, I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like that organized of a pickup game. It was just hey, like three on three, four right. on four, or you know, or we play we play like corners where we just like, like hey, I'm hitting the top right here. Who you know who can match that. And then my so almost horse. Yeah, and a lot of our dads, like a lot of the kids' dads played lacrosse. Like my friend Shane, his dad played lacrosse at uh, University of Maryland, and um, that was always the thing. Like I would always challenge him to corners, and he'd come out there. You know, he was. You know, he'd come out there. He'd have like a like an old traditional stick, 
you know, we were just kind of laughing. And what is that? What are you, what are you going to do with that? And I'd be like, all right, Mr. Kimball, top right. And he's like, top right? And he's just kind of play it off. And I'd go out there and I'd like, I'd like, you know, I'd shoot as hard as I could and I wouldn't hit, you know, the, the best spot. And he'd go tag it top right. And but he, you know, it was way slower. He's like, you didn't say anything about speed. He said, you just said where it's going. He's like, you lost. So that's... So we had a lot of dads. We had a lot of dads that, that knew the game. And, um, you, know, they, you know, they'd throw around with us in the backyard as well. And I think that there's a few kids in Houston like that. I know I have, I have a kid on my Pearland team whose dad played at Nassau. And I've seen, he can go out there and catch and throw. Well, that's cool because, again, this is a common theme here in Houston, right? Which is there's no generational aspect to this, right? Yeah. There's not dads handing it off. That's true. Right? So it's cool that in Charlotte, you know, you had that experience where there were there were dads, right, that played and kind of handed that off, right? Um, so I apologize. We got to go back to your seventh grade, your football coach recruiting, yeah, you, right? Coach Mike Samuels. That was <laughs> so his, tell me about name. your middle school experience. You you mentioned you went out there and you were at least competent in catching and throwing, right? Yeah. So. Tell me about your experience in middle school. Tell me about your the coaching experience that you had in middle school. My my middle school head coach was Ken Fascinero, who was um he was an all American at War Melville and an all American at Duke. Um and uh when I just said like Shane's dad had played at Maryland, he also helped us out. He was actually like um the interim head coach until Ken came in. So we had a coach that played at Maryland and a coach that played at Duke were our coaches. Um and uh our coach, Coach Ken, he we were an eighth grade team with some seventh graders on it, and uh, he would play us in a JV league. So we didn't play other eighth graders; we only played JV teams. So we would go play like the Country Days, the Providence Days, the Charlotte Latins, and teams like that, and we would get like run off the field a lot of times. But you know, and and I don't even think it was no one even really talked about it. Like, hey, you're in a JV league. It was just you know that's the league, you know, right. you're playing lacrosse today, and. Um, so it, it definitely made us a lot better because by the time we got to high school, none of us were JV players. We were varsity plug-ins right away. Um, but our middle school team was huge. It was like it was like Coach Ken, Coach Kimball, and I remember like our lacrosse team picture is like seventy kids. Really? Yeah. So there was a there was like quite a bit of kids that never got to play. And this was at Holy Trinity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what I, what was the to have that many kids, right? Like you said, there's quite a few kids who didn't play, yeah, right? What like, was the what was the attitude of those boys who didn't play? They were just I, I remember that, you know, those are the type of kids at practice that were trying to prove something to you. Like those are the type of kids that would hit you in the chin. Right. You know, they go really hard. They weren't very skilled. So you, you knew why they weren't playing, but like in practice, you didn't want to go against them because they were generally, you know, they were trying to get on the field. There wasn't a lot of complaining. Um I don't remember that aspect. I, you know, when you're a player, though, maybe you don't even realize what's going on. Right. Maybe there was complaining, but I don't remember it because, you know, as a, as a seventh grader, eighth grader, you don't, the last thing you're worried about is what Johnny's mom's doing. Yeah, but the, the, the fact that you remember that they were kind of hitting you in the face, right? Yeah, they were even tough. If, even at that age level, right? And they're driving you to be better, right, as a result of that. Yeah, right? yeah. And there's a few of them, like, uh, there were some of the guys on that team like I said, like about 60 or 70% of the kids that played football played lacrosse. The only kids that didn't play lacrosse from the football team were like, like the O-linemen. You know, that was that, that was that percentage that wasn't playing lacrosse. Right. But um, a lot of those guys, they didn't play. And then later on down the line, like we're hearing like, oh, you hear so-and-so played at Delaware. Or so-and-so played at Salisbury. 
you know, we're like, really? Like, he didn't get on the field in seventh grade. You know, so there was, it was, it was kind of like a lot of layers of kids. And I guess I didn't realize at the time, but like I was lucky I got on the field, you know, because a lot of kids didn't. But yeah, I, I, I bet one of my friends still has that team picture, but it's hilarious. It's like, it's like one coach and just like a mountain of kids. How did, so I'm, I'm going to ask you questions I know you're not going to remember, but I mean, with, with a, a single coach or even two coaches in that context, right? How the heck did they run practice? I mean, what was practice like? As a player at that age, were you thinking to yourself, this is chaos? Or did they pull practice off? Or do you know? The only thing I remember was the time of my life. I, like, I fell in love with the game. I couldn't wait to go to lacrosse practice. I, my, the only real memory I have from 8th like, grade lacrosse is that like, one of my best friends, Kevin, who got me to play lacrosse was a pole. And one of the first things we did was one-on-ones. And I didn't change direction. I, I knew how to I knew how to carry the ball in my right hand. I knew how to get, you know, to find a shot. But it was, you know, typically keep it in my right hand and then, you know, try to just beat him to the top. Right. And he he knew it and he just beat the hell out of my arm with his stick until, you know, my arm's numb. And, you know, I just kinda I just kinda looked at him like, Hey, we're friends. <laughs> and uh, and he was like he's like, If you don't change direction, he's like, What do you think's gonna happen? He's like, you think I'm just going to let you just let you beat me there? He's like, you're going to pay a price for that. You know, that was kind of like, that was one of my first practice memories. Like, wow, okay. You know, and then, you know, I watched my other friends who were at a higher level than me at that time. And uh, I'd watch them. I was like, oh, they changed direction. Like that kid can go from his right hand to his left hand or he can use his shoulder to protect his hands. You know, but I'm like staying at like five yards from this pole. Just like, it's just like slap check, slap check, slap check, slap check. What I love about that that recollection of your experience in seventh and eighth grade is that it's not like you remember this, this fantastic coaching experience or, you know, this, this offense that you ran, right? You, you just remember that there were a shitload of kids, everybody had a blast and we worked hard, right? And it was a super positive experience, right? It's, you know, more and more you realize that at the fifth and sixth grade level, the seventh and eighth grade level, just the fact that there's there, somebody kind of organizing it, making sure maybe people don't kill each other, right? And and hopefully the parents stay out of the way. And I, I, that's probably enough. It's enough, yeah. Right? I mean, y- y- you don't need to go into a seventh grade practice with this detailed plan, how we're going to work on footwork and skills, you know? Um, and I, I like talking to people and finding out, whether it's, it's you or whoever I talk to, I'm not sure that youth experience matters a whole heck of a lot other than the fact that there was a positive youth experience, yeah. right? We fell in love with it. That was all, yeah, yeah, yeah. all that I knew was we fell in love with it. And, I, I you know, uh, for Coach Ken, that guy's job, looking back, had to be so hard because he's at a Catholic school. There's like 70 kids on the team. He's one coach. Mr. Kimball's helping him out. But it's like these kids have been like we were in like we were off the walls. Like uh, the kid, like I, me specifically, like if I, if I was coaching myself when I was younger, I would hate me. Um, <laughs> I have no problem admitting that. But he, we'd be like at mass for like, you know, three hours that day. Then we'd be like in, you know, in, in class. And by the time we get to the lacrosse field, you know, from being there all day, like cooped up and like when in the Catholic school, like in church, like if you, if you make a, if you make a noise, you're going to the principal's office. So you just sit there buckled up. And for, when we get on the lacrosse field, 70 boys just going nuts with lacrosse sticks. That guy, the job he did was incredible. I couldn't do that. I mean, imagine that, right? 
It's like it's, seventy angry Catholics how, running around. How do you how do you pay that guy enough money for that? And I'm pretty sure he did it for free. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's awesome! So you mentioned that uh, Holy Trinity Middle School fed to Charlotte Catholic High School. Yeah. So is that where you went to high school? Uh, I went there for one year, but then I went to um, South Mech after that. Which is just actually, it's like five miles down. It's not even five miles, like two miles down the road. Um, which is another lacrosse school. It's not as good as Charlotte Catholic, but it's not. It's it's like a middle tier. It was a middle tier um, high school. Um, I played there. South, uh, South Mech? Yeah, South Mech. And do you, do you know you know Phil Newton, who uh, he coaches at Pearland? He yeah. was he played for our rival team, which which funny enough, they they were called North Mech. So, so did y'all play Mac. against each other? He's a little older than you. No, right? we're the same age. We played against each other. Not only that, but he covered me. When did y'all realize this? I mean, I guess it, I mean, uh, well, so there's, there's more to the story. So we actually coached together in Charlotte as well. Oh, okay. So we knew it then. So that gotcha, was like, gotcha. I think, you know, 2008, 2007, somewhere around then. So, uh, yeah, that was my playing experience in Charlotte. And then... My high school coach really, really pushed me to go to Pfeiffer. Both my, um, actually all three of my uh, high school coaches had, one of them played at Pfeiffer all four years, and then two played at Pfeiffer, and then went to Roanoke. And, um, and as a player, they, uh, they were like, you know, the head coach was like, I'm sending you to Pfeiffer because you know, that's where I want you to go. I had, I had an offer from Hobart, and I just didn't want to go to uh, upstate New York, you know, especially from Charlotte, North Carolina, which is the yeah, East yeah. Coast, but it's like in the Southeast. It's not, so it's not cold. It's not upstate New York. <laughs> it's definitely not upstate New York. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so after high school, I went to Pfeiffer. Um, so what, tell me about at South Mech, tell me about your career at South Mech, right? What, what the... At that point, when you're in high school, right, I assume the coaching was a little focused, a little different, right? Yeah. So, so tell me about the coaching at, at South Mech. Um, our OC was Jim Capilet, who was, uh, um, he's one of the best coaches I've ever played for because he didn't allow me to get away with anything. He drilled me every day. I mean, anything, right? Like, if, uh, if I backed out of a redodge because um, I didn't like my matchup, and he pulled me off to the side. You know, so, you know you, how are we supposed to play with that, you know? But, so when he did that, was it kind of the the old school football yelling and screaming, you didn't understand, so I'm going yeah. to say it louder, or was it... Oh, it was, it was, uh, it was, I messed up at practice, I'm running, now I'm running sprints or running laps, and he's screaming at me, like, you're, you think you're going to play in college, you're, you're kidding yourself, you need to quit right now. You know, stuff like that, where... For me, it's fine. Like I'm, you know, I could. Ne you could never coach a kid like that nowadays. Well, that's that's what I was going to ask. Was was that how he how he learned to coach you, or was that how he coached? He was specifically hard on me because of my assignment. As um, I mean, I don't know. I was our best attackman. Right. But so he 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 rode me right because he you know that my job was very important. Um. And he wasn't going to let me get away with, like, taking a minute off. And and to be honest with you, like, you know, knowing how I was as a player, I don't blame him at all. I would have rode me even harder because I was I was hard-headed. Um, I didn't learn quickly. Um, I was talented, 
but uh, I kind of would get stuck in like you know I'd do my thing, and he's you know he's like no, you're not doing your thing, you know. So, so he, over and over and he, over. That that he, I mean he differentiated his coaching style between players. It sounds like absolutely. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. He was um, uh, the midfielders. It was just you know hey get ground balls, and you know get him get him get into the offensive sets, and then we'll get our own mids on. And but there wasn't much on them, you know. And then our head coach was a was our DC, so he didn't even address the offense. But he was a really good coach himself. But as far as offense, he he hired an OC. Did, did he even know? Did he even know your name? Yeah, yeah. He, oh yeah, my coach. All my coaches knew my name. Whenever they would, I would get yelled at quite a bit. That was definitely, you know, um, I I got I remember I got kicked out of a practice one time, uh, for. Um, getting to like a scuffle with a freshman because he cross checked me in the back of the neck like so he knew my name and our practices were really physical and um so a lot of stuff like that went on but he would uh Lenny definitely knew my name and Lenny was a great coach too but what was funny is that when they all played at Pfeiffer right so when I'm at Pfeiffer the first thing we have after fall ball is our alumni game so these coaches are now like suited up with the alumni and I'm in there with the with the team and they have like this smirk on their face, like like four years, four years of that. I have been waiting for this. It's like almost, they get to unload a lot of stuff. It's like they, it's like did y'all did you guys send me to this school just for like this two hour game here? And and you know and the head coach was a pole. You know I get on the field and he immediately get a switch. I got that. I got him. I got six. So. Um, it was yeah. I, I really appreciate those guys. At the time they were really hard on me and it was it was hard for me to understand what they were trying to do. But I really appreciate those guys and they were really, really good coaches. So when did when did you realize how much you appreciated them? Was that recent? In college. In college. And then even more so now. You know? Cause I I think now that I coach, I think, you know, I've coached now for eleven years, twelve years. And um I think that from a coach's perspective, it's so hard to 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 understand what what they what they go through as a coach, and if you're trying to implement a system or you're trying to implement like this certain X's and O's or, or a culture, and you've got a piece that you have to put on the field, but he, you know, not necessarily a culture killer, but just like hey, that's a speed bump what you just did, you know. Mm-hmm. I understand like man, those guys like I would have, I you know that, it was hard to coach uh, some of us, you know, especially I wasn't that easy to coach so. Understanding their perspective now, I realize how good of coaches they were. What, um, from a team perspective, that, that high school team, how, how did y'all do the three years there, that you were there? Um, we went to the city championship. We went, we went to the city semifinals my junior year and lost to, uh, to Phil's team. Pretty, yeah, we lost to Phil's team, North Meg. And then... We had a pretty good regular season, so we, we got in we got the two seed, so we didn't have to play Phil's team the next year, so we went to the championship. But we played a team Providence High School and we lost to them in the city championship. Um, at that time the sport wasn't sanctioned in North Carolina, so there was there wasn't a state championship. So there was only city championships. It's interesting. Yeah. So each so within within the state, every city quote governed itself? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. And Charlotte, um, uh, I forget the there was like a there was a website or magazine that kind of was um, they would like rank players rank teams they set up the city championship 
So it was, um, they would, you know, they'd keep stats. So you could go on the website and see who's, who's got what stats in the city and stuff like that. So it wasn't even like a governing body, so to speak, that ran the city championship. It was, it was like this website that they organized, the they organized the whole thing. I don't even know how, what I would compare that to in Texas. Is there anything that you compare that to? No, I mean, I, I just don't, I don't think so. No. Yeah, so I, I mean, I guess it would be like if like a stick star, yeah. but if stick star did like stats and right. you know things like that, um, so they set up the city championship and they were based out of Charlotte. So I'm not quite sure if like Raleigh, or um, or uh, Durham, if they had uh, or Chapel Hill, I'm not sure if they had uh, the same situation we had, but it's sanctioned now. And when I coached in Charlotte, after playing in college. It's sanctioned now, so there's 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 like districts and there's a state championship and there's different levels. Gotcha. So, go back to the transition from high school to college, right? So, Pfeiffer was local-ish. Right? Yeah, local-ish. It's like an hour and a half away from from Charlotte. So, what was the what was the importance of that? I know you said you didn't you, know, you, you weren't interested in going to New York, right? But what was the importance of Pfeiffer being local? Was there any importance? No, for me it was um it was uh it's a school I got into that recruited me. I uh I went on one visit. Um I was recruited by a few different schools like, you know, like a Wingate, a Queens, schools like that, but I didn't even want to go on visits. I just, you know, I went on a Pfeiffer visit. It was good enough for me. Um uh I don't regret going there. Um, but, uh, I do kind of regret not checking out other schools. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering if the lines were killing you. Yeah, the sun's, I can't see. I'm good now. Oh, look at that. Technology. And, in uh, in North Carolina, I, I forget what the conference was called back then, but, um, there was like, like 10 division two schools all in the same little area. So, like, we played teams that were, like, 10 minutes away, you know, and some teams that were, like, an hour away, but, like, almost right. every team we played, with the exception of Limestone, was in North Carolina. That's pretty cool. Really cool. Yeah, you're not traveling all over the place. Mm -mm. The, did you play all four years at Pfeiffer? Two, only played two, two yeah. Did you finish school? Didn't finish school there? I didn't finish there. I finished somewhere else, but gotcha. um, uh, it was, it, I, I'm not sure that. I'm not sure I was mature enough to, uh, at that time, for what how I needed to be, you know. You mean for, for school in general, or for school and lacrosse? School and lacrosse. School and lacrosse. Okay. Yeah, and at Pfeiffer, you know, Pfeiffer is one of those, uh, Division two, Division threes that. It's almost like a pyramid of players that come in, right? Like, like the roster is usually going to be like fifty percent freshmen, and then it's going to lower. At sophomores just and then, playing a numbers game, right? Yeah, then lower and lower. There's a tons of attrition, tons. Right. Especially at schools like that, <coughs> you'll see that there's a lot of Division two, II, Division three schools that are like that, and uh, I fell in to be one of those guys. It was interesting when, so when my son was going through, looking at colleges and talking to coaches, that was actually a question he asked the coaches, right? You know, do you, and the, the way it was framed was, hey, do you recruit your guys, or are you playing the numbers game? It's mm, a good well, question. Which which is it? Right? I never would have asked that question. Yeah. I didn't even know. Yeah, so it's like because that's a, that's an important question because if you're playing the numbers game, it's like is that is that really the experience? Yeah, I want? it was. Yeah. I I'll never forget that like the coach when he recruited me, 
it was he was the nicest man in the world, you know. And I remember on my visit, they they came down to a few of my games in Charlotte, and they'd come talk to me in the parking lot after games, and like, hey, we'd like to get you on a visit. You know, you played a great game, or they would you know call me and say, hey, we saw you know against uh, against Charlotte Latin, you you had a nice game. You know, I didn't even know that they were following. Right. And uh, but I would go, so it's like they make you feel really special, right? And then I went to my visit, and my dad drops me off. You know, my dad's like pulls up the car, coach walks out of the athletic complex. And my dad just, you know, rolls on the window and goes, hey, coach, what time do I need to be here tomorrow? And the coach is like, you know, it's 11 o'clock is fine. So my dad's like, all right, see you later. So my dad drops me off. Coach is super, super nice. Um, you know, my first, our first thing we ever had to do was a four-mile run, and it was timed. And I forget the time you had to come in. But uh, I'm, I'm stretching outside the facility, like, you know, in my line. And the coach... The coach kneels down as I'm stretching, and he goes, he goes, hey, listen here. And he goes, I want you to know I'm trying to replace you right now. <laughs> he goes, I'm trying to get a better player than you right now. Right. And he says, because this is just business. And he goes, if you don't make this run in this time, he goes, I'm putting you on a list of a, that I'm definitely getting you replaced maybe this year. And so that just shocked me. You know, I was like, I thought you were, not, I thought you were nice. I, <laughs> I thought you were nice. I thought you were really nice. <laughs> um, so... Uh, so I, I, at that point, I realized, you know, and like some of the upperclassmen, you know, they, they were just some grizzled guys. You could tell that they knew, you know, they kind of just looked at me like you, you know, he just found out. And uh, he wasn't lying. That, that wasn't like a front to like motivate us. Like that's, that's how it is at that level. And those guys are. So the, that's a, you know, we, we hear so much, you know, everybody uses that, 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 that catchphrase, catchphrase, culture, right? Culture first, culture wins, culture, culture, culture. Yeah. Right. I mean, it almost seems like in that situation, right, it's the opposite of culture, man. It's very transactional, right? You produce pr today or... Yeah, right? it, it all depends what type of culture you want. <laughs> right. So I think, I think that culture, he wants it cutthroat, right? He wants, he wants cutthroat. He wants, like, the toughest of the toughest at, on his team. I think nowadays that's not the approach, right? Because, like, the way that, you know, the way that... Um, our gen like I don't I guess I don't want to say our generation because I don't feel that much older than these kids today. But um, I, I promise you, I'm not in that generation. I, I guess I'm not either, right? <laughs> I'm not in that generation either. But I just I'm just out of it. But um, at that time, you know, if I told my dad that the coach said that, he'd be like, "Oh hell yeah, you're playing for a good coach there." That's a, that's a hard ass, right? You know, and uh, but nowadays, you know, if you if you told a parent, you know, they oh my god, you know. Right. You're going to lose all your confidence. You know, how can you be expected to perform <laughs> under that level of scrutiny? So, so. But was he, was he, were, was the entire coaching staff like that? Or did the coaches, do you remember, did the coaches have different roles? The, the OC liked me. The OC liked me and the DC liked me. The head coach didn't like me. And which made me wonder, did he recruit me or did the OC recruit me? So. Uh, or were they playing roles? It could have been playing roles. Right. I have no. I have no clue. Right. Could have been playing roles. I genuinely think that I probably pissed off that coach, and I get it. I probably did, you know. But um, probably, probably what he thought I was gonna become. I was. I was. It was taking me a, a while to to develop and become that that player for him, and I bet that was what was frustrating. And I bet he thought it was my personality, which which was hindering me from that. 
And I, that was probably what frustrated me. Because as a coach today, I have players that for sure, it's like, this kid could be at this level, but he is inconsistent. Right. You know, watch him during this this particular drill. He doesn't take it serious. And then, you know, in your, you kind of, not that you have a grudge against the kid, but you're just like frustrated with the kid. Right. And you're like, it's, it's, it's your personality that's holding you back. And I think that that coach saw that. And then I think the other coaches, they probably didn't tune in. They're like, that's talent. Get it on my segment, you know? Like, I remember the, the DC tried to turn me into a D-mid. And the OC, I, was play, I played man up as a freshman, but I didn't start on offense. Because the OC had complete jurisdiction over, over man up. But not on the regular offense, right? So, um, so I was, I'm starting on man up, but I'm not a first-line mid. Right. Which is odd. Um, and then the DC tried to make me a D-mid, and then he realized after fall that that was not a good idea. How do you think how do you think your experience with those two years and everything you just described how does it color how you coach now? Well, so it's funny cuz it coming from that cutthroat of a culture and then coming into coach high school it's probably not the best because you're going from uh you know just the sideline language you can't say that kind of stuff. You can't, like, some of the stuff that the coaches said in college or what you heard, you cannot bring that to the field at the high school level. You cannot. Um, this was at my school. I don't know. This, I'm, I can only speak to my experience. I sure. have no idea what the culture of Wingate was. I, I have an idea what the culture of Queens was like because I had a few friends that played there. Um, uh, but for for... When I, when I started coaching in North Carolina, I coached at uh, Hopewell High School. And the guys on our staff were two guys that played at Queens, Phil, who played at Catawba, and then I played at Pfeiffer. And I remember I said something one time in the middle of a game, and uh, the head coach, Dan, Dan McMahon, he played at Queens, he, he kind of looked at me real stern, like, you cannot say that at the high school level. And I was like, what I say? And he's like, you can't say that in high school. He's like, it's not college anymore, Mike. I was like, oh, okay, well, what, what am I allowed to say? He's like, you can't say that. So, <laughs> so it's, you know, I, like, uh, I've softened up quite a bit. I don't know if softened up is the word. I've changed my approach to, to accommodate for today's youth, which is what you have to do, right? If you want to be successful, If right? you want to be successful, you have to be able to change. But I think that, like, um, being able to coach that the same way, you know, college lacrosse is tough. You know, it's, it's, it's a combination of, of skill and toughness. It's not a finesse game in college. And I think that um, being able to, to coach that style of lacrosse, but with like a new school delivery is, is what you have to learn to coach nowadays. That's, it took me a while to, I mean, even when, like when I first started in Houston, I wasn't at that point yet. I am now, you know, when I started in Friendswood, I was, I was still, it was still old school. Old school message, old school delivery. Right. It's interesting that you recognize that. Yeah, um, I definitely recognize it. So after you wrapped up at Pfeiffer, I'm going to assume since you haven't mentioned coaching at all yet, up through college, you, you didn't coach at the youth level or hadn't done any coaching. Is that correct? No. When I when I was out of college in Charlotte, I worked with an organization called Stick With Us. Have you ever heard of Team Carolina? I don't know. Maybe. I, I think they're the biggest club in North Carolina. I could be wrong. Oh. Um, but uh, um, their, their director is a guy named Mike Desmond, and I worked with them for a little bit. And then after that, I worked with a club called Top Tier with Steve Shatner. 
Um, and Steve played at West Genesee, and he played at UNC. Um, he's he was on the UNC team that won the national championship in like the nineties. And um, I learned so much from that guy that I would just follow him around and just everything he said. I would just take a mental note. Um, he so this was this was after you got finished at Pfeiffer. Yeah, was it, was it immediate? I mean, did you know? No, Pfeiffer? actually, uh, I I I kind of just I'd been done with the game for three or four years after Pfeiffer. I just I was sick of it. Um, uh, it it wasn't. I just didn't want to touch. I just didn't want to pick up a stick anymore. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to play adult league or anything like that. I was just kind of, just kind of done. I, I didn't, I didn't find it. I didn't like the love that I found in middle school. It went away. It, it, it became a job. Right. You know, and uh, the type of job that when you leave practice, you have bruises all over your body. It was freezing cold at practice. You know, it's like this wasn't fun. Um. Uh, but then you know, coaching after that, I started coaching with. Uh, with Team Carolina, with uh, Desmond, stick with us, and then I coached with Top Tier, and then... Um, so when was... This when was it? around 07 to 2011. Gotcha. Um, and then I had coached at uh, Hopewell High School, which was like a startup... It was a startup public high school. Like I said, my friend Dan, Dan McMahon at Queens, he called me up, and he's like, hey, do you want to you coach with us? Like... We, you know, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll coach with you guys. So I'm coaching with these guys and a few of them are my friends. Brian Palmer was like still one of my best friends today. He played at Pfeiffer. He's he's coaching goalies. So our staff is like, it's like five guys that played in college at the Division two level, all first time coaches. And it was a you said it was a startup team too. Right? Startup team as well. Yeah, startup team. So, and it's it's different in North Carolina, right? So like we're we're like in like the Charlotte North Division. I forget what it's called. It was like they're numbered, right? So we're like District Six, something like that. And in our division is the top two teams in the state, and then some solid teams, and then there's us. So we're going into it, and uh, and like I remember in the parking lot, Dan. After we like sign our contracts, Dan's like, "Hey, I hope you guys understand. We have no chance of making playoffs. You understand that, right?" And uh, I was like, "Why not?" And uh, he's like, "Cause Lake Norman's in our conference. Lake Norman Charter's in our conference. You know, all he started naming off some teams, and uh, we're like, oh, okay, so this is gonna be rough. Like, but you know, the funny thing right there is that there there's one league. If you want to start up a team, you're in the mix, and our division requires us to play each team twice. So those two teams that that were the top two teams in the state, we've had to play four games." There was no division two to go play in. There was no division three. You're in. You're in. <laughs> and uh, and no parents complained about it. The kids took the the kids took the losses. They came back to play. They're still playing uh pickup pickup games at the park. Um, there was no way to hide from it. You're you're playing. Were y'all? So at this point, it was a sanctioned school sport. Yeah. Were the coaching staff? I assume you were not school employees. None of us were. Not school district employees. None so, of us were. So there was some kind of exception or something that existed to, to hire coaches that were not school district employees. Do, do you know if that still exists? The Booster Club hired us. Um, the Booster Club was like a group of three parents. And, and because it was sanctioned, the AD had to let us play. He didn't like it. It's no different there as here. The ADs don't like it. But when they were forced... So you have to have lacrosse if you have a team. 
like this is part of your of your athletic program. Right. And the coaches do not have to be employees. The booster club, you know. So it's still like that. It's still like that. Yeah. And one of one of our one of the kids on our team, um, his dad was the head football coach, so he drove the bus for us. Or those, or we would just we throw in a request for a bus, right? And then you the we'd you know the, they'd say well where you guys want to get picked up like outside the gym at four, so then we all the kids would be there and then the bus driver would come pick us up. It was a school sport. How did it? So I assume that gave you access to whatever facilities you needed. We had fields, fields with lights. We had a we had a football practice field. And we were allowed to use the stadium sometimes. For? For games. Sometimes for games? Sometimes for games. Not every time, but sometimes. It did, the ADs, they can still, you know, they can, they can make any reason on a piece of paper. Like, hey, right. you can't use the stadium. Why? Because we're watering it that night. Right. You know, we're watering the field that night. We're right. cleaning the bathrooms that night. You can't go. You know? So they would, they would restrict us, but they had to let us play. And I tried to develop a good relationship with him. I would stop in his office and... Well, any like any any AD, they're usually football guys, right? So you just go and talk football with them. Go talk football ninety percent of the time, and then save the ten percent of why you came, and then add that at the end. And the ADs usually love it because if you're like you know, what they they're like, oh, here comes the lacrosse guy. But then like the lacrosse guy's talking like college football with me, right. so they it kind of feeds their egos. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned so. It sounds like. Correct me here, but it sounded like the entire coaching staff was kicking off their coaching career at the same time. Yeah, Oakville. yeah, it was. And it was a new team, right? Yeah. So, what worked and what didn't there, right? Because I'm, I'm willing to bet y'all didn't know shit, <laughs> right? And furthermore, there wasn't an established team, right? So, what, what explain that process? We, we, <laughs> our practices would turn into, it was almost like a camp. You go to a lacrosse camp and you have like, there's a midfield coach teaching midfielders like, uh, split dodging. There's right. there's an attack. There's an attack coach teaching them how to read and feed. You know, there's a defensive coach teaching approaches. So our practices were a lot like that, where you know they'd be like, Mike, you know, you you could work with the attackman, and then like Brian, you work with the goalie, because we had one goalie. So it's like you that there's like our goalie had a goalie coach every day. Did you have did did your boys? I mean. Did they have? Did some of them have experience? Or was some this... of our kids were good, okay. and a few of them went on to play in college. Um, some of them were good. Some of them weren't very good at all. I would say we're. I would say that team was at the level of like a probably like a D two team that that would make Houston playoffs but get bumped and not make super regionals. We were like at that level right. of a team. Um, so we were. We had some guys that that could play, and then some guys that couldn't play. Excuse me. Um, but, you know, as a coaching staff with that group of guys, it was, you know, it was, it was just a really good learning experience for a coach and for a player. Because we did, you know, we were, we were going up against teams that had um, like older coaches that had been running programs for like 20 years. Yeah. And so we were kind of, we were kind of learning, watching them. We all knew the game. But none of us knew how to like. It's put, all the organization. How do you organize it? Practice yeah, effectively, right? Practice organization. The administrative stuff. Dealing with parents. The team culture was hilarious. That was the funniest part. <laughs> when you're, you know, when when twenty three year olds are, are coaching the team, some of us younger. <laughs> was the was the culture, uh, you know, generally hungover and late. <laughs> I just remember. I just I'll never forget. I remember. Um, 
Dan called me. He's like, hey, uh, go meet Cody at the field. You guys got to string up nets because we got practice tomorrow. I was like, what? No one told me I did. Okay, fine. So I go do it and like Cody's out there with like a cigarette. And he's like, hey, we got to get this done. <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's get it done. So... <laughs> So I'm out, we're just out there stringing nets. And it's just like, that's, you know, that's the type of guys we were. It was like, it's, everything is, oh, that, that's tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm going to run a few minutes late, you know, stuff like that. But it was, it, I'll, you know, I really, like, it was really fun. It was really fun. Did you find, you mentioned the, the established teams and the coaches who've been coaching for a while. I mean, did you find that they were helpful? Could you reach out to them? Did you reach out, reach out to them? Um, some of them. Some of them, uh, some of them, yes, some of them, no. Um, there was a coach in South Charlotte that we knew from, from club ball that, uh, that we could always refer to. And he was one of the best, he's one of the best coaches in town. So we would, you know, have little meetings with him. He'd tell us what's going on. Our biggest problem is that we all, we knew a lot. And so we knew how to diagnose everything. Did we know how to teach it? No. Right. So like our offensive playbook had like 30 sets in it. So, like, we would legitimately try to teach new players 30 sets. And none of us, and, like, one of the guys would be like, hey, why don't we, like, do one thing and get really good at it? Because I don't know if they can handle much. And we're like, what, what, you're crazy. What if, they, what if the defense <laughs> is doing this? Like, we could, would have no solution for that. So none of us understood that concept of, like, get good at one thing right. and make the, make, you know, make the other team beat you at it rather than, like, hey, we have an answer for everything because, you know... Like Dan was from, uh, he played at, uh, he was from Syracuse. He played at Herkimer and then he played at Queens. All of us had a lot of knowledge of the game. Like X's and O's was not our issue. Culture, organization, and understanding how to teach. None of us knew how to teach anything. You know, in a shooting drill, we'd go shoot. Like, just do that. Did you see what I just did? Why can't you do, why can't you do that? <laughs> just do that. Get your hands here and let it go, you know? So it was, um, I've forgotten I've lost track. Was Phil, Phil Newton was on the staff? Yeah, Phil was okay, on the staff. So okay, so how long were you at Hopewell? Um, I, was, I was a varsity assistant my first year. My second year, I was uh, JV head coach, and then I was varsity coach for two years after that. They, so, I got promoted. So that puts us like to, what, 2015, 2016? No, that's 2011, and then 2012 I moved here. Oh, okay. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. So at this point, I'm trying to remember, Phil had already moved down here, right? I think No, he Phil had left our staff to go coach in college. Phil, Phil had took the college route. Okay. Dan, <clears throat> he left to take the route. He, he got a job at Holy Trinity, that middle school that I... And then he became the head lacrosse coach there. So he's like, I'm doing this, you know, because I got, you know, just like here, right? Like if you're a teacher, you're going to get that tied in that coaching job and that teaching job. Right. Private schools are always the first choice. The place to go, right? So he, yeah. he left and then they're like, we need a coach. And they're like, well, let's promote Mike, you know, because Phil had left to go to college. So it's kind of like by, by default, <laughs> you know, they, um, I'm still here. It happens. That's all right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so by default I get, I, you know, I get, but I think of all the players coaches that we were, I may have been the most players coach, right. which is not a good thing. But so the kids were like, oh, cool. You know, like the good cop is, is going to be the, the coach. So how did, how did one year as the head coach? Two years two as the head coach. So how did, how did those two years differ from your, like your first year at Hopewell? First year was a disaster because I, I, there was so much pressure. 
I felt it was all internal. Right. Like I'm very introverted, so it was like it was all internal. I just put way too much pressure on myself, and uh, I fell into that same hole of instead of doing one thing really good, let's do a lot of things. And and so the first year it wasn't. I mean, our record wasn't terrible. Like for our division, I think we had a losing record, but it was respectable. The next year, it was a little bit better. Um, I had implemented some summer programs where all the guys we we'd have like. So there were state rules, right? You can't have more than nine guys at a practice. So I organized nine at a time, and I'd go there every day in the summertime, and we would, you know, we'd knock out um, a bunch of drills, stuff like that, right. offensive concepts. You can do offense and defense with nine guys. <clears throat> and um, the next year was better. We had a better year. Um, we still didn't make playoffs. Um, and... Uh, and then I got a job offer to move to Houston, so I had to have that meeting with the boys of, you know, I got to go. Sorry. So this was after the 2012 season? After 2011. After 2011. Gotcha. Um, so so how, did the, how did the opportunity in Houston come about? It's a really funny story. So I moved to Houston for a job. I was a tech assistant for an offshore engineer. Um, and... One of my best friends, so remember the remember the guy I told you his dad played at Maryland? Yep. He was he moved down here. He was coaching at Memorial. What was the name again? Shane Kimball. Okay. He All was right. working with John Mannion, and the head coach was um, Michael Newton. Is that right? Mike Newton? Is that his name? Yes. He was the head coach at Memorial. So I, you know, being in contact with Shane, he would always tell us funny stories, but you got to see Texas lacrosse. It's hilarious. You know, like, why is it? He's like, he's like, it's like. He's like, these kids, they're like, they, it's, it's like ultimate fighting with sticks. <laughs> He's like, it's, it's hilarious. So, um, uh, you know. So you came down here, you originally came down here for. A job. No non, co- non-coaching. Non-coaching, job. right? And right. then, so Shane had connected me with Mike Newton. So I moved here and I, I had moved to Clear Lake because my job was in League City. And so I, and I'm like, so I called that guy, I called Mike Newton because it's like, man, I don't know what to do at 4.30 in the afternoon now that I'm not, not coaching anymore. Like I go to work, I come home and then like, I have all this time, a single guy in an apartment. I don't even have like a pet and I'm just, just there. So I called Mike Newton. I was like, Hey, you know, can I coach with you guys? He's like, yeah, we'd love to have you. Where are you living? And I'm like, in Clear Lake. And he goes, yeah, that's gonna be a problem. And I was like, what do you mean it's a problem? He's like, it's, it's, you're way too far away. You're talking this much time in traffic. Yeah, you've got no context about Houston. Right? I had no context. And Charlotte is not that big. So you can, like, the the two, the two teams that are the farthest away are going to be, like, a 20-minute drive. So, like, there's that's not even a thing. You can coach any team. Right. Not a problem. And um, so I'm like, well, what, okay. I'm like, damn, what? So he's like, he's like, well, let me, let me, let me tell you what. He's like, here, I'm going to give you the two numbers. This is a guy, Ray Botto, who's at Clear Lake. And this is a guy, uh, Steve Kirk at Friendswood. So I call Ray Botto first and like, and I don't get a call back. And then I call Steve Kirk and he like answers the phone. And, um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come out to practice tomorrow. Cause I don't think he had any assistance. I don't think he did either at yeah. that point, right? It was just him. Just him. So I was like, okay, I'll come out to practice. And, um, <laughs> I work with his kids and like, there's a little bit of talent out there. Um, and uh, so I'm working with his guys, and then the next day Ray calls me, and um, 
And he's like, you want to come out to practice? And at that point, I was, I was like, man, like, because you know as a coach, like, all it takes is a little bit of a bond right. with the players. It takes a day, man. And you're like, those are my guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I can't, like, you know, whatever the bond was, it, it might have been tiny, but I'm going to be out there again because, you know, they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So, so who are some of the... Who are some of the boys on that first friends with that team? first friends with team? Um, I'm trying to remember who was there. Uh, Eric Langston was a sophomore. Jake, oh, so Eric was already there. Jake Jones was a sophomore. All right, all um, right. That gives me some context. Now. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, the goalie's name was Dom Colangelo, I think, and he worked with me at, when I coached there. I that that guy was awesome. He was a good player. Um, all these all these kids were like. Really respectful. Like Steve Kirk ran a militant operation. Yep. So these kids didn't talk. He was back. a Navy guy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was like, you know, I was like, man, you should have been with us at Hopewell. You were the missing piece. <laughs> like you could have, you could have uh, whipped us into shape because we were, we were good at X's and O's, not so much like discipline. Yeah, he was just the opposite. Yeah, right? he was the opposite of what right. I had been through. Yep. Which I guess is like, a, it's a weird way of like, it's an experience in life that like you really value because it's like you needed that the most and that's what you got. I also would have got it at Clear Lake because Ray Botta was the same way. So I was in a really good spot. Um, who else was on that team? Uh, Taylor Nowak. He, he, he wanted me to be the JV coach and help him with varsity. So I go do that and... Um, First thing I realized is that like they pay more money here for coaches than in North Carolina. Really? Yeah, because he's like, "This is what we pay JV coach," and I was like, oh. "I was like, I got like six hundred dollars to be a JV coach in Charlotte." <laughs> really? Yeah, nothing. You get nothing. I remember. I'll never forget. I was uh, the second year that my coaching salary was a thousand dollars, and um, and Brian was joking. He's like, "Hey, you're you're a thousand air now. You know, we're thousand airs." They didn't, you know, they didn't pay because there's so many coaches that they don't have to pay. Well, yeah, here you get two. Maybe, Supply right? and demand, right? Like yeah. there's so many coaches. They're like, oh, you don't want the job? We're gonna. There's thirty other guys that did what you did in college. Yeah. You know. There's nobody here. None. None. So it's like you. You're kind of at their mercy of what they want to pay you. Right. In in North Carolina, right, here, right. there's you know, it's like, well, who else are you gonna hire? Yeah. So what when you when you landed at Friendswood, right? And and you got hit in the face with, with, Kirk's right culture and organization yeah. right. It sounded like like you said that's what you needed at that point. Right? Yeah. So there was some value in that, for you as a coach. Yeah, and Steve Kirk is a great man. I mean, he's a like you know he would drive the bus because we had to become bus drivers. You probably know that. I, I remember and, that story. So that's I do I, I mentioned that loophole <clears throat> a lot to people, right? That you know in in the UIL discussion right. The discussion is always coaches need to be an employee of the school district. Mm -hmm. Well, this Steve Kirk cracked that nut a long time ago. Yeah, he did. He became a bus driver. He was like ahead of his time. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely ahead of his time. I feel like you know he he could come back now and teach everybody a thing or two. He uh, yeah. So the the in during the games we'd drive the bus to the game and Steve Kirk would be like, "You need to be on the bus as well. You can't you can't drive yourself." Like, okay, so I got to leave work early. Be at Friendswood. And I'm riding the bus with Steve, and our conversation goes, you know, he's, he's such a cool guy. So we're talking lacrosse, we're talking, uh, like, military stuff. Uh, like submarine warfare. Conspiracy stuff. Right. Like, we're talking about JFK. 
And then all, all at the same time, like, you know, after he'll pause and be like, he'd be like, so that's how you put the stop sign out, like on the bus. Like, so we're, we're doing all that while teaching me how to drive a school bus. He'd be like, don't ever forget you stop at the railroads and open the doors. He's like, non-negotiable. It's like, you'll fail your test. So we're, we're doing, we're talking about JFK, awesome. talking about who the best lacrosse teams are in town, and learning how to drive the bus. So, invaluable experience. That's awesome. So, how many, how long were you there before you took over Friendswood? The next year, um, so John Prouty, John Prouty called me, wanted me to coach him at Episcopal. So you, you had been at, at Friendswood at Eaton's? One year, one year as JV head coach. John Prouty calls me that summer and he's like, he's like, this is, I want you to come coach me at Episcopal. Um, and, uh, so I call Steve Kirk and I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go to Episcopal. I, you know, I'm still friends with John, both, both men, you know, both guys, great guys. Um, as far as working, as far as lacrosse goes, I picked John. Oh yeah. Right? I picked yeah. John for lacrosse. So I mean, I say it all the time. <clears throat> He's one of the two best boys coaches I've, I've yeah. ever run across. And a, and he's right. like and he's like a little life friend. Okay. You know, he and I we don't even talk lacrosse anymore. Everything is you know, we don't it's we're we don't even talk lacrosse. You know, very little. Um so I call Steve and I'm like, I'm gonna go to Episcopal and he's like uh he's like, Okay, I'm stepping down, you're gonna be the head coach here. His so Steve had two boys that ran through Friendswood, right? I didn't coach them. They were gone by this point. Yeah. Right? Okay. I didn't coach them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, at this time, John's son, Ryan, was going to be a freshman. Um, so I told Steve I was leaving, and he says, no, um, I'm stepping down. You're going to take over here. And then I, the booster president called me immediately and said, like, she said, how much money do you need to not go to Episcopal? So we worked that out, and then I told John, and then John was like, oh, you're making a mistake. And uh, still to this day, if I anything has to do anything negative about lacrosse, like, I could say, like, yeah, like... We got out ground balled and Paraline game. He's like, should have been Episcopal. <laughs> so anything, if I say anything negative about lacrosse, he tells should have gone to Episcopal. Would have to deal with that. It's like, really, would I not? So It's funny because, I, I mean, I know more detail about that story than I care to mention, right? Um, because you and I had bumped into each other. I think it was during or after that first year. In so right? I, I remember when I first saw you. So I was doing a lesson. And you were out, you were out like uh, working out on the field, and I was like, "Who's that guy? We need to get him on our team," because they'd all told me there was like there's some there's some poles that have quit. I was like, "That guy's a good looking pole. Let's get him." And I was like, "Hey, do you want to? Are you you go to school here?" And you're like, "You took off your helmet." Like, no, I don't go to school here. And uh, I was like, "Oh." <laughs> and then and then I think we had worked together to organize some pickup games at Friendswood Junior yep. High. Yeah. Those pickup. I tell you what, man. I still to this day went. When I reflect on everything I've done for lacrosse, those two summers that we did pickup games there are still probably ranked as the two most important things I've done. We had like 30 kids a Saturday. Those were unbelievable, man. And of course, you're at Friendswood, right? So there's going to be 30 parents there too in lawn chairs. Which is fine. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, especially that second summer that we did that, the diversity of boys. We had men's league we had kids from Clear Lake. We had kids from, at that point, Episcopal, Houston Christian, yep. right? Friendswood, Pearland. There were, there were kids from all over, man. And those two summers were were awesome. Yeah. Those pickup games were awesome. They were really fun. Yeah. I had... Um, you grow in the game when you do stuff like that. 
And I mean, that's legitimate, right? Legit. And it, and it was at their school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people run, especially at Friendswood, because the school's like right in the middle of the neighborhood. Yep. Both of them. So, yeah. like, everyone sees it. So everybody saw it. I remember, uh, sounds like I'm tooting my own horn a little bit, but Donna Broom, the Brooms. Yeah. Remember the Brooms, I remember right? Them. At one point after, after you had moved on, or no, you may have still been there, but I had moved on, and she was trying to kick those pickup games off again at one point, I think. Really? Yeah, and she was like, you know, hey, Bertaz used to do this, and it was awesome, right? Um, and it was fun to listen to her talk about how meaningful those games were yeah. for John Henry. Right? Yeah, that kid was so good. He became so good. And it's probably because he's playing pickup lacrosse all the time as a goalie. Yeah. Tons well, he, of shots. He would play anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I love coaching that guy. Um, he... Uh, he left, I think, after his sophomore year. But he, if he had stayed, he he would have been. Friendswood has tons of good goalies, by the way. He that, was a that, good one. I and he was him, a really good one. So I coached him when he was in fifth or sixth grade, and at that point in my coaching career, I didn't know shit. I still don't know shit. But at that point, I literally knew shit. Um, and I always tried to have separate goalie workouts, even at that age, with mm-hmm. him, right? And he, I remember we were having a, a, a goalie workout one day, and in my mind, as we were working out, I, I, I kept hearing like this, this dance beat. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is that? What the hell is that? And then I realized it was John Henry in the goal, like, while we were doing drills, right? He's got this, this dance beat going over there. I was like, oh man, this kid, he's got a screw loose, right? He's a man. And he, he was, and you could plug him in any situation. We, we were playing travel ball. Remember when there was a tournament in Alvin? Yes. Yes, I do. That I was, was one of the two-step yeah, tournaments. I don't right? remember what it was called, but it, it, I don't know why we still, I don't know why we don't, because you know, we don't have any tournaments here. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we were, my travel team was in the high school A championship, and we were playing third coast in the high school A championship. And our goalie... The our our varsity goal he had prom so he didn't he didn't come back on Sunday. I don't blame him. And uh, so we're like, hey, uh, John Henry, can you step in the game? And he was like, yeah, sure, I don't care. Like he didn't like didn't even like phase in what we asked him. He's like, yeah, I'll play lacrosse. Is that what you want me to do? Play lacrosse. So he's playing lacrosse, and he goes in like makes like big time saves against like the third coast high school A team. They were all varsity level players right. from like Memorial, Houston Christian, Kincaid, stuff like that. And we're throwing in this, this uh, this freshman, or at that time he was he was an eighth grader, gonna be a freshman, and he wasn't even the A team goalie at Friendswood. Dude, he was just all in. He right? was he was on the B team, and uh, and he uh, he goes in and makes like crucial saves that like wins that tournament, and it's like this this kid's awesome. And, he, and after the game, he's like, you know, he didn't he still didn't realize. He's like, do you want me to go play in the JV game now? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we need you. They they need you too now because we're we're missing a goalie. I love that kid. He is. I I think he's living overseas and he's like playing soccer or something in Dubai. They love soccer. I would when uh right yeah when I would um when I was working with the brooms at Friendswood I would we play FIFA the boys and I quite a bit. So and I remember he would he would always bring a soccer ball in his bag so he'd have his goalie stuff and a soccer ball so. Him playing soccer is not a surprise to me. Yeah, he's playing soccer overseas somewhere. It's like in Dubai or something crazy. All right, we got way off t- topic. Though. Let's let's go. 
to Pearland, where you are now. When did you arrive at Pearland? So there's a, there's one step in between. Yeah, I know. You want to talk about that one? Sure. So I left. <laughs> I left. I left Friendswood, and I I did uh I did one year at Siena. Um, and uh, and then I and I had a great I had a great experience so, there. Well, hang on, we missed something. And then, gosh darn it, I meant to talk about this when we first started this discussion. Was so I, I always say what interests me about this person, right? So what's interesting for me about you is we're about to get off topic, but that's okay. We'll come back. Remember, remind us. We'll come back to okay. Siena. What What's interesting for me about you is that in the last ten years in Houston, right? If you if you Assume that D1 is where it's at. That's the highest level of lacrosse in Texas. You, you, you want to get up to D1. If you look historically in the last eight or ten years in Houston, yeah. right, there's been zero growth there. Yeah. Zero, right? Um, you know, this year we've got Seven Lakes bumping down, right? The, the, the one thing that has occurred in the last eight or ten years, I mean, Seven Lakes popped up, dropped down. I think it's Bridgeland. Is, are they D1 or D2 now? Bridgeland's D1. D1. Friendswood is a team that existed that you pushed up. Yeah, they were D one. They were D two when I was there. Yeah, and then, and then you know, I, I, hopefully I don't get you in trouble, but you know, I I know you had a stated objective at Pearland, right, to get them up to D one as well, right? Yeah. So, you know, in, in in my humble opinion, you're one of the few guys that exist around here in Houston right now, who is vocal about playing at the highest level. Plays at the highest level. If you look at your Pearland schedule last year, your Pearland schedule was brutal. Right, and then also has a track record, right, with Friendswood, and not so much with Pearland right now. That I don't know that it's your, your fault, but you know, getting teams, right, yeah, to administratively to that to that D one level, right. So, I, I think that's that's super interesting. So, when so, <laughs> I, as soon as I got here, I didn't understand that what D1, D2 was. I didn't understand what it was. And I'll never forget, um, the, f the first meeting I went to, I was, um, I didn't know who I was sitting to at the time, but I was sitting next to Keith Tennell and um, uh, Laylee. So I'm like, I'm just, I'm sitting next to these two guys. And uh, so right off the bat, like the comments that they made, I was like, I like these guys. They remind me of, they remind me of coaches from home. And, uh, and I knew their accents right away. I was like, I know, I this guy is from Nassau County and the other guy might be from Suffolk or New Jersey or something. And then I asked him and I was right. So, <laughs> so, uh, um, Pete Laley stands up and he says, he's like, this is enough of, of the D2 teams not moving up. And he's like, if you guys don't move up, we're all moving down. And I was like, I, I remember I asked Keith, I was like, what, what is it? What is it? What is D2, D1? What is this? And he's like, he explained it to me. I was like, oh, and I was like, I, I want to be in D1. And he goes, we'll do it. And I was like, okay, let me figure let me figure out how to do that. So I go back to the Friendswood board, and I'm like, I, I wanna, we want to be in D1. And they're like, why? That we'll get killed. I was like, and I just came from Hopewell. I was like, yeah, and it's okay. Right. You know, it's okay to get killed. You know, um, that's how sports work. There's a winner and there's a loser. You know, it's okay to lose games. You know, it's okay. It's, it happens. Um, just because you lose a game doesn't mean you're evil. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it, the kid, the the children will still grow up and develop. It's gonna be okay. It won't scar them. Um, so I had convinced the board that we wanted to go D one, and um, the the Boucher president, um, she's like, well, let's let's put a plan in place. It's like sm that's smart because you know for me being impulsive, I'd be like, let's do it. Let's do it today. 
We're, I'll, make, I'll make a call. <laughs> yeah. She's like, let's put a plan in place, Mike. Trust me. I was like, okay, so let's put a plan. Let's, we put the plan in place. We go to D1 the next year. We almost make playoffs. We lost three games by one goal. Um, and uh, if we'd won any, if any one of those, if they had turned over, we would have made the playoffs our first year in D1. We had really good players at Friendswood. Um, and what we and we had we had played in the Dallas Jesuit tournament that year, and we played Highland Park's D two in the tournament, and we like smoked them. And that year, Highland Park D two, they won the state championship. So I don't want to, you know, I know that in a real game, I don't know what would have happened. It's a tournament game; you can't base anything off tournaments. Tournaments generally favor the weaker team, to be honest. Um, but we would have had a chance to win a state championship if we'd stayed in D two, a good chance. But you know. I hate to say this, but like, does anyone know who won the NIT last year? Yeah. Right. So for us, it's like, well, we we want to be, we want to play at this level, and the only way you can get to that level is if you're playing solid teams day in and day out. I know that I know that sounds like a dig at D two. I realize, and it, it probably is, but if you want your kids to get better then it's the only way. And if you remember, like I told you, my middle school coach, he played us in a JV bracket when we were eighth graders. And then when I was in Charlotte coaching with Hopewell, we were straight into the league. There is no D2 to hide out in. Right. So for me, I guess from my background, it had kind of shaped me into that mentality of, you know, if you go play the best and and, and you know where you're at. Like you, right. you know, you, you go lose to Kingwood. We lost to Kingwood by three that year. And it's like, okay. We played. We played our B game. I think Kingwood played like their C game, so Kingwood's a little bit better. They're better than they're. They were better than three goals better, but we knew like okay, that's that's where we're at. So when we go back to work this summer, we know where we want to be. Right. You don't. You can never make those measurements if you only play at a lower level, and 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 for us and like the biggest difference is in D two and D one is that you can make mistakes in D two and the other team doesn't make you pay for it. In D one, if you make a mistake, you're getting you're getting scored on. Right. Or you're not scoring, you know, or you're not clearing the ball. You're not, you know, your ride didn't work. So that's why, that's why we wanted to be in D1. And I think that, I think if I'm, I'll make, a, I'll make this statement. I think Texas lacrosse would be a lot better off if there was only one division. I don't think there should be a division two. I don't think there should be division three. As competitive as people are here, I think the cream would rise to the top. So I, I think right now in some cases it's being allowed to... Yes. Matriculate down that ladder. It's right? it's it's being it's it's artificial. It's it's set up artificially that way. Um, I if if you're a high school team that is and as much money as there is down here, if you're a high school team that is in you you're forced to go to D one and you're not competing well. Those parents aren't gonna sit well with that, and they're gonna fix it. Whether it be hire more coaches, import more coaches, whatever it takes, they can figure it out. And I think that. That would I think that would be best. Um, the other thing to remember is that like lacrosse, everywhere you go is, is haves and have nots. Like in Charlotte, we played with the two best teams in the state were in our in our conference. Those are the haves. We were the have nots. Right. And that's just how it works. I know I've listened to a few other your podcasts, and even in even in Long Island, there are haves and there are have nots. Right. Because I played travel ball up there in the summer times, and there was teams that we played in Long Island that were awful. And then there were teams that had like, you know, 14 kids that were committed to Division One schools. Right. So it's okay to have have and have not. I mean, you watch high school football, like North Shore is a have. And I've seen some teams that are have nots. Right. It's okay 
it's okay for there to be a disparity. Well, and I, I go back to, you know, the discussion I had with Eric, right? And, I mean, he, he hammered home the importance of, you know, the how aggressive y'all were at Friendswood while he was there with the schedule and with your opponents, yeah. right? I mean, he drove that home. It's like I, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to play in college had I not played that level of competition, right? Had we, had we stayed down in D2 and, and had we not gone out and sought teams, good teams to play, he, he was pretty clear about it. He wouldn't have been prepared to play in college. Yeah. Right? I, I, I mean, I, I know there are some players in Houston that are Division two level players that, um, well, sorry, that not level players, but they are players that play in Division two, And they go play in college and they, have, they do great. Chances are those players did some things in the summer that got them, that they, they were like, okay, my high school team is not getting me where I need to go. Right. I'm going to supplement it with this. I would say 100% of them, wouldn't you? Yeah. They, they, they supplemented it with something yeah. else. Um, imagine where they'd be if in the spring they were getting that. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I think, I, I think it's, I don't know, I think the answer is that so many parents run everything. Because I, I know for, I, I think parents take losses worse than players these days. They do. Well, the other thing too is that a lot of times that parent involvement is short-sighted. It's for their kid, right? So the four years their kid is there or the two years their kid is playing, right? And it's, the long play is, okay, I've got to go all the way down to first or second grade. I got to get incorporated with the PE, right? right? With the teachers, with the principals, right? I got to play the long game, yeah, right? And, and the problem is that that is, in this area anyway, that kind of goes by fits and starts. You'll see it, mm-hmm. but it's short-lived. Yeah, imagine. Right? But I mean, I, I look, you know, for me, this offseason, if you watched uh, Jeremy Platt in Kingwood, I mean, how, how many social media posts did you see with Jeremy out at an elementary school, right, with third graders, mm-hmm. right, day in and day out? Boys and girls, right? yeah. Yeah, just grinding it out with these little kids, right? I mean, that's what's got to be done. Right? It, not this fits and starts, start a fifth and sixth grade yeah. team, right? <laughs> start, you know recruit boys to play the seventh grade team, right? It's, it's, it's gotta be more holistic it's, than that. It's and set it's up just, to it's fail. It's so inconsistent. It's right set now. up to fail. Imagine if you were, had a company that you were running and your company was like, Hey, in four years, we want to be here. What about after? Oh, we don't care. Well, right. Imagine that, right? Like right. you you don't care after four years. Like you're, so you're gonna, you're gonna, That's all you're, you're driving it into the ground after four years. Like right. this is going to be fun. <laughs> so it's the, yeah, same thing. Yeah. All right, so we got off track. Let's go back to uh, Sienna. Sienna, yeah. Um, so I had I had <laughs> left Friendswood, um, and uh, and I get a call from uh, Glenn Glenn Reitman over there, and he's like, you know, well, he was like, why don't you come work with us? You know, I see you're not coaching anywhere. I'm like I don't know. Like for me, that was so far away. And then uh, and then Dina got on the phone and sold me, and. Uh, they they treat their coaches over there so well, I have to say that. I mean, they over there like, it's like, hey, Dina, I need this, got it, I need this, got it, you know, immediately. So, um, coaching over there was fun, um, and I know that they're like, their seniors right now were freshmen when I was there, and I think we had a decent year. We went to super regionals. We got bounced really fast by uh, Frisco, in Dallas. <laughs> 
some of those Dallas D2s are a lot better than Houston D1s, you know? Yes. And, that, and on the field, it was like, it was like this, you know, this team would be second to Woodlands in Houston. This D2 team. Um, yes. So... This, I've, I have experience uh, playing Prosper at the D2 level. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. Prosper's a really good team. Yeah. I, I almost feel like if Houston... If, if Dallas quit playing lacrosse in 10 years' time, I don't know if Houston would be caught up. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we'd be caught up. Um, especially if you go watch youth lacrosse in Dallas, it's that's it's like, whoa, okay. I coached um, I coached some Highland Park third graders this fall mm-hmm. on a team. I think we may have talked about this. These kids were explaining pick plays to their teammates. And I'm think I'm looking at this these these th- there were three of them three boys in particular, explaining why you set this particular pick on this part of the field in this particular situation yeah. to these other third graders. I'm thinking to myself, I got high school kids that don't understand that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a different world, for sure. It's 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 there's Texas lacrosse and there's Dallas lacrosse. It just is what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean. That's in a lot. I don't know, but we'll get into that later. But so yeah, so with uh, with Sienna, I had a blast. Um, uh, love coaching the kids over there. It was it was a quite a bit of a different culture than Friendswood. Um, How so? Uh, the um, the kids over there had different different personalities. Um, the parents had different personalities, and the board was different. Um, I had a great board president at Friendswood my last year, Bill North. He was a great board president. Um, he's not the board president there anymore. Um, but, uh, but at Siena, it was, um, they have like something every weekend. Like it almost seems that way. Like, you know, cause Dino would be like, Hey, we don't forget we have MIDI, we have MIDI workouts on Saturday. And then on Sunday we had, it's like, Whoa, it's, this is, this is seven days a week. Right. So they, 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 they're always working over there. Um, the kids had there's a lot of buy-in um, from the families and from uh, from the players specifically. But uh, at, at you know I left uh, Pearland gave me an offer that at that time I just thought was uh, I thought it was just a better situation for me personally. Um, I still you know I I remember I have fond memories of time at Siena um, and uh, especially the kids. Um, every time I see Glenn, you know, I see him all the time. We, you know, we're, we're very friendly. We talk. Um, he's a funny guy. Like, you know, he's one of the, he's another one of those guys like John that we hardly ever talk lacrosse. Right. It's usually something else, you know, something funny. Um, so after that, I, I left, went to, uh, Pearland and Pearland wanted me to be the JV coach. And then the next year. So I was going to say this, this past season was your second season at Pearland. Right? Yeah. But it was the first year as varsity coach. Okay. <clears throat> So I worked with the JV, and then this last year we were, it was my first time at the varsity. And I, I wanted to go D1 right away. And the board was on, they were on board, like, you know. <clears throat> and we tried to go D1, and they told us we were going to go D1. And then in, in, like, October, they pulled the plug on it. So we're, we're back in D2. Um, and their reason, for, I, their reason was that we're not all from one school. But for us, I don't know when that's going to happen. So. Right. Does that mean we're stuck? Right. You know, but I do remember that at Clear Lake 
And at Cypher, I guess if you do well enough, they make you go D1. Yeah, I mean, the it, 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 all those situations are subtly different, right? And I don't know, does THSL do a great job of understanding those subtle differences? I, I don't know. It just seems like, you know, we weren't allowed to go D1, and then now they're moving teams from D2 to D3. So it's like, is the incentive here to grow upward or is the incentive to grow down? Because I don't, it doesn't make sense. The other thing is that there's teams in D2 that are really close to 100%, but they're not held to the standard where they have to go D1. So like if there's, if there's a rule with like a barometer in place, then you have to go both sides. Like if you're not at this, if you're not at this number, you stay. If you are at this number, you have to go up. But they're not making those teams move up. So it makes me think that, that they just don't want to grow D1. That's the. I mean, yeah. what else? What other conclusion could you come to? Yeah, I, I don't. I've Brand and Bill and, and some others and I've talked about this. I think generally speaking, um, I think everybody's just kind of wore down. Coaches mm-hmm. are, are just kind of wore down by all this this governance talk. Generally, yeah, I agree. And I, I don't. You know, I always ask the people. You know, when I was talking to Bill uh, was it last weekend or whatever. You know, I think at one point late in the discussion, I was like, hey, tell me about governance. You know, and we both kind of like, we don't care. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's where it's at. It's like, it, it's just, I, I don't even know. Does it even matter? Right? I mean, so, and, and, and you're an interesting case to say, does it even matter? Because, I mean, last year, look at your schedule. Yeah. Look at who you played. So I think we played like 90 ones in, yeah, in scrimmage I, two or three. Yeah. I mean, does it, does it, does it matter? You played those teams as long as they're willing to play us. Right. If if they say we if they say we're not playing you guys, then it, I go back to the governance because as long as they're letting us get out of the schedule what we want, then I'm fine with right. it. Well, and that goes to the discussion about the the conferences and divisions and all that occurred during the off season. I think you and I talked at one point because I think there was one plan that had maybe it was a east west and south or whatever yeah. it was here in Houston, which was kind of nice. Because it shrunk down the number of games that you had to play, mm-hmm. and you had the leeway to go. Okay, now I can fill my schedule with who I want. To yeah, with. I was heartbroken this year at the meeting when when Ormsby said there's two divisions, and then my division has like ten teams. I was like, no. Yeah. So now this year, I think we're only playing like seven or sixty ones. So we had to. We couldn't play as many as we wanted to. Yeah. Are you playing St. John's again? We didn't. We didn't play them. We didn't play them. I would love to play them. Um, yeah. I wanted to play Woodlands, but we can't because the D2 team's in our division. It's an interesting wrinkle. Yeah. So there's a few like D1s we can't play for those type of reasons, but um, most of them say yes. Um, but when, you, you know, when you're D2 and you schedule a D1, there's, there's two things you give up. And one is the location. So they're usually going to pick it to be at their place. Right. And then the time of the year. They're typically playing it as a warm-up game. Yeah, so if really, you want if you want D1s, you're talking February games. Early games. Yeah, and like you said, with 10 folks, 10 teams you have to play. Yeah. Man, that, that could potentially make for a long schedule. Yeah, so our, I think this year we're at 14 games. Um, we're going to focus a lot of our time at practice um, this year. We've got – we know where we want to be, and uh, – we think we need more time on the practice field this year, so we're not playing as many games. And so, how many? So, it's interesting that you were so aggressive about your schedule last year. Did leads me to believe right that you probably didn't spend as much time 
on film and stuff like that because my impression is, as a coach, you feel like good games against good opponents, that's where it's at. Is that, yeah. is that an accurate statement? It's accurate. We, we, we would usually get about three hours of film in a month. So not much. Not very much. Um, we, our, we have like a group text. For the with the players and I would watch film, and when I when there was something that needed to be pointed out, I would record it on my phone, and I would send the video in the group text. And for all involved, I'd say you have to comment on this, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were you thinking on this? Or or hey, this is a great job. So we would we do a lot of film like that. It's kind of irresponsible for me to like text them during school hours or stuff like that, but. I did. We have constant dialogues on the on using t- our phones. So last season, man, it's interesting you mentioned that. Last season, there were actually practices where I told everybody I was fortunate. I think all the boys had iPhones. So on the defensive end of the field, there were practices where I said, "Okay, everybody, go get your phones." And I had film that I had recorded on my phone, right? And we would share it there in real time at practice, and we would talk. Everybody, they'd be sitting there on the field with their phones. And we'd be talking through the film, yeah, that's right? At mil- practice, millenni- right? millennial film session, <laughs> right? That's 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 genius, though. You're getting the same thing out of it. Yeah, yeah. That's genius. You I don't mean, have to reserve a room, right? I mean, it worked. I, 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 there was no AV squad involved. It's like, dude, go get your phones. I'm yeah. gonna share this video with you guys. Blast it out to them and sit there in real time and, and talk through the film, right? So it's interesting that you're doing something similar. Yeah, everything's on. Everything's through the 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 um, the team text and. What I discovered, even if with if you had Huddle and gave them access, that they do. Did did they, were they using that access or was they, it? They don't use it as much. Like your more serious players are always using it, and then you just know, like you already knew who wasn't gonna look at. You know, I know which kids on my program care and which ones are just there. Like everyone deals with it. Right. Because we don't have cuts, but right. um, but you just know, you know. So that's why you know we'll send out and say you have to comment on this. Right. For you some, know, I know you don't, got. Don't yeah. depend on them getting. Yeah. Hey, go look at the video. I know you got the text. You're a high school kid with your cell phone. Right. You got the text. You know what I mean. <laughs> One thing I did last season, um, so you were talking earlier about focusing on a few things and doing well, right? So you know my my defensive playbook, right? Just generically, I have a defensive playbook that I've developed over time. Yes. Yeah. It's too big, right? And, and last season, I tried to share a bunch of it with the boys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they picked up on some of it, not on all of it, which is fine. But I, I, I could tell who was serious, right? I, I knew who was and wasn't looking. I knew who did and didn't review it. And one, one way I kind of gauged that early on just for fun was, you know, all of my vocab, my defensive vocabulary words, right? I printed them out on index cards one practice. Yeah. And before practice, when all the boys came together, I, I handed out all the cards to boys. And I just went around. Okay, who's got this word? All right, stand up. Yeah. What is that? Right? Oh, no. And the failure rate was abysmal. You, you find out. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of reconfirmed, okay, those are the five boys, right? I knew they would come through. Yeah, you knew these guys knew. And then... Uh, the best way to find out sometimes is just to ask, make them ask questions. Yes. And then when the, with their questions, you realize like if they're close or if they have no clue still. Or so I took. This is something I think I, I took from maybe you most recently was where where I'm at practice and whether it's a situationally if it's a, a scrimmage or a drill or something that 
it's clear that not all the boys get, right? Those are situations where I, I, I tend to step back a little bit. Yeah. And like, okay, which of the boys are going to step up and explain this? Because I know there's two boys here who, who get mm -hmm. right? So almost intentionally, right, slow roll it, step back, yeah. and, and, and let the boys kind of to sort it out and discuss it among themselves, right? I find myself doing that a lot. Yeah. Um, and I also, to your point, I ask boys to explain stuff. And yeah. I'll call them out, right? Okay, you know, this, this is a skeleton drill around, you know, our slides and our, and our calls, right? Here's, here's the three calls in this situation. Who's going to come here and talk to me about this call? Right. Right? And, and challenge them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you know who those, four, those five yeah. are, right? And then <laughs> there's, there's always that moment as a defensive coach when that you realize when everything's working, when you give up a goal and you look at their reaction afterwards and there's one or two pointing the finger back at themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they come together. And that's when you know, like, they're okay, they're not pointing at each other. Like, there's responsibility that is accepted, and that's when you know. And the other ones are saying it's okay to the one that, that you know, picking the guy up that's pointing his finger back at himself. Right. That's when you know they got it. Well, and I always challenge the boys in that situation. It's like, great, he accepted responsibility. And at the, at the, at the point at which that occurred, we understand. But what led up to that, right? What could you have done differently as a defensive player leading up to that? That may have changed the outcome. Yeah. Right? Maybe it was at the midline, right? Maybe it was communication. Maybe it was something small. But, you know, don't just let him say, yeah, you know, slide was late. I wasn't physical. Yeah, right? like the two slide could have done a better job telling him. Right. He could know. have let him know earlier, man. I'm here for you. I got you. Push, yeah. push, push, right? Um, go ahead. Go. You're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always challenge the boys. It's like, yeah, you know, at the, at the point at which it occurred, yeah, right? But... What two things could you have done differently leading up to yeah. that, right? That might have impacted the outcome. Yeah, that's right. that's our cult, that's our DNA at Paraland that we're putting yeah, in. It's, yeah. it's never let your teammate fail, and always fight for each other. So in any situation, if someone fails, there's there's a good chance that like all thirty guys that somebody knew what to do, and if someone failed, that person that knew what to do, it's their fault. You know, because you allowed your teammate to fail, and you're never allowed to do that. And that goes back, and I, I've, I've tried to get the boys to understand this, right? We were talking about practice and the intensity of practice. For me, that goes all the way back to practice. Because I'll challenge, I'll challenge the kid at the end of the bench, right? Okay, what could you have done during practice this week that could have potentially affected that outcome yeah. during the game, right? Could you have gone a little bit harder on a drill, right? Could you have pushed your teammate a little bit more? Could you have provided a, a little better look? Right during a skeleton drill, whatever it is, right? What what could you have done differently? Yeah. Right, because you have to have that buy-in all the way at the end. Of the As a high school, in the high school kids, understanding those concepts <coughs> of responsibility and what happens down the line, right? Because in any situation in life, in any situation in life, when something you know, if when you are irresponsible, someone's paying a price somewhere. You may not see it, but someone's paying a price when you're irresponsible. Yeah. High school kids, their brains don't comprehend that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the hardest part. I have a, there's a, I don't know if you're, this would be a great musical reference, Robert O'Keen reference. I don't know if you, if you listen to Robert O'Keen Jr. at all. Robert O'Keen Jr. has a great song, and, and the, the chorus is basically, when you're swerving on life's highway, mm -hmm. you're running someone off the road. There you go. <laughs> all I see is my high school boys swerving on the highway. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> running folks off the road. Oh man, golly, these guys are we long? so fast. It's been an hour and a half already. Uh, Not that that's long, it's just like, 
he's always fly. Why? Yeah. Right. Um, what else? What didn't we talk about at this point? Right. Part, parting thoughts. Um, uh, nothing else. Can I? Uh, you want you want to you want to pump up the dirty birds over here? No. I'm well, <laughs> um, it's just a club team that uh, that I started. Um, I'm trying to offer solid coaching at a really affordable price. And I think there's a market for that. I think there's a market of kids that, that need you to be under the $600 mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, we have good players. We have good teams. You know, we did very well at the uh, at the Longhorn shootout. Is that what it's called? The Longhorn shootout? Yeah. Um, we only we always play A brackets. We don't play B brackets. Um, we're not obnoxious on social media. Um, we just try to coach our we kind of coach our kids with college level you know, guys that play the NCAA level. And we like to work hard. We try to practice um, in the summertime. We try to practice to get like nine hours a week of training. In the fall, we have to cut it back. But it's really simple. It's you know it's cut and dried. It's run by coaches. There's no parents involved. Um, so it's Dirty Birds Lacrosse. Uh, Got a free plug in for Dirty Birds. Free plug. <laughs> one one thing I do want to plug is the 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 Taft tournament that Paraland's hosting on January eighteenth, uh, nineteenth, or nineteenth twentieth. It's that weekend. Um, it's for any any division, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. The teams are welcome to come uh, to uh, to register, um, and uh, we're looking for like six to eight high school teams that we can plug in. It's a great way for your preseason to get your scrimmages in. Right. You know, if you if you you get to play some teams that you might never play during the season, or you might get to see some teams that you are gonna play, and um, instead of scheduling like a scrimmage with a high school team, you know, you get get those games in. And you support the community because it helps parallel lacrosse and it helps, you know, that's the team that's in Houston. It helps, helps out the game in Houston. Can folks can just go to the parallel website. Yeah. All right. Um, I wish I could commit my team to you. I know it's okay. There's a few guys, there's a few teams that said they can't make it. And I know it's, it's right before Martin Luther King day. Is it that weekend? It's the, yeah. So you get the Monday off. Most people. Um, yeah, yeah. so yeah, I've tried, we're trying to get as many guys as we can, as many teams as we can. And for that, um, that's, and that's Liverpool Man U that Saturday, so I'm giving up that. <laughs> so, I know you're 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 a soccer guy now. I am. I've I've turned into uh, yeah. Sunday morning, I'll get up, drink my coffee, right? It's great. Watch a little soccer. It's great. Yeah. It's it's it's. Who did I watch yesterday? You were watching um, Arsenal and Everton. No, no, I watched Wolverton. Okay. Wolverton, Wolves? Wolves, yeah, Wolves. And who did they play? Oh, the passing impressed me. I I enjoyed, I don't know who they played, but I enjoyed that game because the passing impressed me. Yeah. Because they were, they were aggressive and, um, I mean, I I thought all the passes were super aggressive and just right on the edge of like not being successful. Mm -hmm. Right? And it was, and they were just really short, fast paced passing in that game. I, I really enjoyed that. That's what I, I don't, I don't pretend to be a soccer person. Right? Yeah. But I, I, I enjoy the games like that where there's really crisp, right? Aggressive passing. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. I think, so you get to correct me here. I think when I watch like soccer from South America, mm-hmm. there's kind of these more long passes. Is that, is that an accurate statement? Yeah, that's accurate. And, I think the vibe I get from Premier League is there's a higher premium paid on 
aggressive short passes. Yeah. Right. And moving the ball with the field. That way. Yeah. That's the Spanish influence of soccer after like 2009. Like there's, they play the ball out of the back a lot instead of like tossing it up in the mix and then bounce and see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like your defenders have to be able to connect passes now in that style. And that's, and that's I a, like that. a lot in the premier league. If you, um, I know you're a defense guy. If you, if you watch Liverpool, Liverpool has the best soccer player in the world that no one will mention. He's Virgil van Dijk. He's a, he's a central defender. He is the best player in the world. But no one cares because he's a central defender. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have a big shoe deal. <laughs> right. And, and so, and what, like one of the interesting stats is that like the right back and the left back of Liverpool, um, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson, they lead the, they lead the world in assist. So two wing defenders lead the world in assist. How good of a central back do you have to have for that to for you to allow you to do that for right. your, your two wing guys to play up? How good is that that center back Van Dyke? Yeah, yeah. That that tells you right there. Um, yeah, I love soccer. Yeah, I wish uh, I wish I was sophisticated enough to support a specific team. I'm not. I just watch. I just enjoy watching. Just right don't. Now. Just don't support Man U. Don't support Man City. Um. Don't support Juventus. Uh, uh, <laughs> just don't support those teams and you can't make a mistake. I'll be good. You'll be good. <laughs> uh, don't support Real Madrid either. Not a fan. Are they, are they in Premier League? That's Spain. They're in Spain. Okay. Yeah. That's the other thing is all the different leagues. So you got Premier, mm-hmm. you got the German League, right? Yep. Um, obviously MLS, right? And there's all these crazy... Yeah. And then there's like... B and C leagues and yeah, oh. Juventus is an Italian team. Not, is there an Italian league? Yeah, it's an Italian league. I'm not really a fan of Italian soccer. But well, so, well, so what's the difference between Italian soccer and Premier League? Italian soccer is like it's their tactics are really good, so they're they're incredibly smart. But like they'll they're the they're the first guys that'll like foul you, and then if you breathe on them, they're gonna dive. So it's just I wouldn't it's like. A bad look. It's not the most. It's not the most. Uh, there's not a lot of integrity. It's. They but they're play, I mean they're they're smart. I mean and this is not a, you know it's not like against the country of Italy. It's just the brand of soccer. It's the the uh, all of the Italians that listen to this podcast are literally going to come unhinged. All the Italians. <laughs> Do you have any listeners in Italy? No, I've got one in Peru. There you go. I've got, that's the only shout out to Peru soccer. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one listener in Peru. Love it. <laughs> Don't have a they play great soccer in Peru. Do they? They do. Alright. Well maybe maybe this will be more <laughs> a better entree for me into the Peruvian listenership. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Well man, I appreciate you coming out. Man, that went by fast. You ready to do awesome. you ready to do some whiteboard? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's do let's it. Let's wrap this up. Thanks for coming. <laughs>